0: good morning everyone I hope everybody's having a good Sunday so far so if there's a pile of lumber and stone sitting in a heap along with nails and tools nothing really happens a house does not simply build itself needs a builder to come along and use the tools and supplies to begin to transform what once was useless to a sturdy home obviously in this analogy we are the pile of tools and wood while God is the builder we cannot become a sturdy home without God who builds and uses us for his will. When we have the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit grow in us. And this is evidence of the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says that, it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God makes beautiful things out of the dust. Once a dead tree, and Because of the Holy Spirit, it becomes a strong, healthy, f- healthy, and fruitful tree. The Holy Spirit makes us new. It is called fruits of the Spirit for a reason. It's not f- the fruit of humans. It, it is the fruit of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit dwells in us, he works through us and we bear the fruits of the Spirit. We do not suddenly decide to bear fruit. We do not grow on our own. The fruits are the result of the Spirit's work in us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23 is the classic fruit of the Spirit's verse. And it goes like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The last fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23 is self-control. And for the longest time, self-control never really felt that important to me, and I'm not really sure why. I guess I just never really fully understood it, and it didn't feel as important, funny enough. Uh, The other fruit, I knew what they meant, and I knew what they were, and I was familiar with, but self-control was a little more unfamiliar and unclear somehow. Self-control to me meant you were able to control yourself when you were about to become angry and control your anger. And like self-control is that that is true but there is also so much more to it self-control is the ability to say no and to turn away to say no to something tempting and something you know is definitely not wrong for you, is definitely wrong for you it's like when you see a freshly baked chocolate cake on the counter and you can just smell it and your mouth is starting to water it's not healthy for you right chocolate cake is really bad for you. Um, You shouldn't indulge in something that is bad for you. You need self-control to turn away and leave that tempting chocolate cake no matter how much your mouth is watering. For me, I often need self-control to avoid distractions. When I have a project due, I usually have to stop myself from picking up my phone and going on Instagram. It can get out of hand and it just makes me procrastinate more and just put things off. So that's self-control, being able to say no to things and turning away from the things that can throw your plan off track and throw your work off track. And it can be that simple. But in the grand scheme of things, it is much more. So to put it simply, I'm sure everybody is aware of this. And if not, we are slaves to sin. And no matter who you are, what you look like, we are all controlled by it. There's no escaping that truth. There's no exception to who is controlled by sin. However, with Jesus, he takes that yoke of sin off our shoulders. Romans 6, verse 6 says, Our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Just because we are saved, though, that does not mean that the temptation to sin magically floats away and goes away. In fact, unfortunately, once the devil knows he no longer has a grip and a hold on us, and that we have Jesus in our hearts, the temptations to sin will only get worse. As the devil tries to get our attention, we'll just keep getting attacked more and more. So this is where the fruit of the Spirit really comes handy. Since we are tempted daily by sin, we need the fruit of the spirit of self-control to really kick in there. Romans chapter 7 verse 24 to 25. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks to be, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin our flesh just serves the world it is of this earth and it always falls into sin and we must with self-control we must deny our flesh and matthew 26 verse 41 says watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak turn away from all the wrongdoings and pray for the lord to guide you through Every single sin we encounter, we should control ourselves. No matter how good looking it is at the moment, how good it is, it is a wolf hidden in sheep's skin. It may seem unharmful and maybe even okay at the moment and that it won't hurt anybody, but no matter what it is, a sin is a sin and the wages of sin is death. A sin is a sin. No sin is greater than another. It is all equal in God's eyes. So turn and run, control yourself and say no, turn away from sin and this ability to say no to sin produces perseverance. Once we begin to deny our flesh, we begin to persevere and we begin to live by God's word and not by the desire of our flesh. Self-control is freeing. We begin to be released from the control, temptation to sin has on us. Once we turn away from it. So pray and ask the Lord to guide you and give you self-control. When Jesus was tested in the wilderness, we see how he has an enormous amount of self-control. It's crazy. Let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. It says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word of God sustains us. It is the thing that keeps us alive. And it keeps us going. It's not food or anything earthly, because earth will eventually pass away. All this will pass away. All you need to live is God and his word. And the passage goes on to say this. Then the devil took him to the holy city and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, Do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. Why would we need to test God if we already trust him? If we have faith in God, we should know that he will save us from harm, just as it is written in scripture. So I want you to rest in that promise and never test the Lord your God. It is really not your place to do that. Trust in the Lord and that he will save you from harm. So scripture goes on, okay. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus only said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So when you are tempted, remind yourself who you worship. You should worship the Lord your God. You should do things that honor God. You are representing God and you worship him. You do not worship sin and not things of the earth, right? You should always be attempting to please God and to honor him. So when you are tempted, remind yourself who you worship. This passage is incredibly rich with so much knowledge to learn from Jesus. Honestly, it's really crazy how much he taught us in his days of ministry and how much he continues to teach us. And we learn new things as we build and strengthen our relationship with him. Each time Jesus was tempted, he responded with the word of God. And he leaned on his father's strength. So when we are tempted, we should lean on God. We need to reach out to him. And this is why we have the fruit of the spirit. It is given to us to help. It is a gift. So have some self-control. Next time when you are tempted to eat that whole chocolate cake or yell at your mom or kid or a family member or steal something that isn't yours or maybe even tell a lie. When temptation comes your way, deny your flesh. Deny it. Turn away and turn to God. Run away from sin and run to God.
1: Now that we have discussed self-control, we will be looking at an example of a transformed life in relation to the fruit of the Spirit. Before we begin, let's remind ourselves of the importance of being led by the Spirit to inform our understanding of today's discussion. Galatians 5.16 reads, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. The transformed life that we will be looking at today is of the apostle Peter. We will be comparing Peter's behavior and attitude at two different times in his life. The first scenario we will look at is in John 18.10 when Jesus and the disciples are confronted by Judas, several soldiers and Pharisees In the Garden of Gethsemane. It reads, Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Here we see Peter acting impulsively, physically hurting another person, Peter is unable to manage his emotions and resulting actions when someone close to him is threatened. Thus, he behaves in a way that is contrary to Jesus' teachings. Now let's look at another event in Peter's life that occurs only a few moments later in Matthew 26 verses 69 to 74. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, where another servant girl saw him, and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Here, we see Peter profusely denying any association with the very one he had just tried to defend with a sword, becoming verbally defensive and agitated in a direct confrontation with others. Therefore, in both cases, we see Peter physically and verbally lashing out when faced with a threatening situation, failing to demonstrate appropriate self-control. Fast forward to Jesus' resurrection and ascension. Sometime after Jesus ascends to heaven, the disciples receive the Holy Spirit. Following these events, we read of Peter and John healing a man who could not walk. Then, the two disciples are brought before the Sanhedrin for questioning. This event is described in Acts chapter 4, verses 7 to 14. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Here, we see a significant contrast to the previous example. In both cases, Peter is in what could be called a vulnerable situation, a confrontation with those who are against him. As we see in this example, first of all, Peter is seized by the authorities. This time, he strikes back with words, not with a weapon. Second, Peter is confronted and asked, By what name did you do this? This time, he openly professes the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, instead of calling down curses in denial of Jesus. Third, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. He speaks by the power of the Spirit, delivering words that leave the Sanhedrin speechless, instead of reacting to the situation rashly. After looking at these examples, and identifying the contrast between Peter's actions before and after, what can we apply to our own lives? Let's take a look at three key takeaways. First, wisely use words, not weapons. Second, boldly profess, don't pretend. Third, thoughtfully respond, don't react. The Holy Spirit plays a key role in our interactions with others, as we see in the contrast between the two examples that we discussed. When we are led by the Spirit, we are transformed, instead of conforming to the ways of the world. When various groups in society tell us that violence is the only option, we know that the tongue of the wise brings healing, as it says in Proverbs 12, 18. When society throws around Jesus' name without respect, we can proclaim it. When we feel like giving people a piece of our mind, the Holy Spirit gives us peace of mind. Romans 12.12 sums this up nicely. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Thank you.